Thank you for worshiping this morning. And uh, just so we can get ahead of the, the game here, uh, if you find your way to Revelation chapter 12, we're going to be talking about being an overcomer this morning. But um, if you're new to this, or maybe you're sitting here wondering, you know, what is a life group? Um, life groups to us are the heartbeat of what Jesus wants from the church. Church is not designed to be a place where you just come and sit and then go home, and you're not affected, you're not changed. Maybe you think, well, I learned a little bit of something, but it's not about education, it's about relationship. And the better that we connect, the more that we relate with one another, the stronger our church becomes. And so maybe you said, well, I'm not ready to jump into a little group where people are going to know me, ask me my name, and uh, this and this and this. Well, maybe you start with a Wednesday night, which is a bigger life group. <laughs> it's a little bit different. And then maybe when you find out that, hey, it's okay. But one is not the number that you want for yourself. You need to connect with somebody. Maybe you're busy, and maybe you're not outgoing. Uh, but just believe me, there, nobody's going to try to embarrass you. It's not about all this Bible knowledge. You're not handed a trivia card that says, hey, do you know all the books of the Bible? That's not what this is about at all. It's about people of like interest, uh, like faith, coming together and developing a relationship with each other so that we learn how to live with each other. And so I just encourage you, there's, there's multiple ways to do this. Like I said, if you're not a, ready to jump into a life group, uh, great, but come on Wednesday night. There's no football on Wednesday night. There's, it's the middle of the week. You probably don't have nothing to do. Come out on Sunday night. We'd love to see you there as well. But um, uh, let's, let's get into this topic this morning. See, God has different plans than we do. He says that His ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And I don't know if you've noticed this, but especially around these times where we've had all these multiple uh, natural activities and weather uh, patterns, that uh, the news begins to bombard us and negativity begins to bombard us, and it's easy to get overwhelmed. And pretty soon it just feels like, I can't get away from this. It seems like it's always on my mind. It's always on my heart. It's always on, on uh, and maybe it's family problems. Maybe it's your bills. <laughs> you're, you look at your bills and you're like, this is overwhelming. I, I've got more going out than I've got coming in. <laughs> or maybe it's a family issue. Things that are very difficult to fix. You know what it is to have the elephant in the room because it's there all the time and, and you can't fix it and it's hard to talk about it. And I don't know what it is that may be overwhelming you, but I want you to know that God's plan is for you not to be overwhelmed, okay? So you stick right there in Revelation. I'm going to go real quick to, to launch this to, to Romans chapter 12. If you want to jump there, that's fine. We're just going to go there real quick. But he says in Romans 12, 21, he's very specific. This is what he says. Do not be overcome. Yeah, that's God's word. Do not be overcome. And then he's even more specific. He says, do not be overcome by evil. So for those of you that maybe you don't even think about this, we have uh, forces at work in our world that we always can't always see. But I believe there is such a thing as the devil. I believe there is such a thing as spiritual warfare. I've, I've confronted it. I've been a part of it. I've, I've uh, faced it head on. And I believe that these things are real. And the Bible 
no matter how we feel, so, so pull your feelings out this morning. God says, I don't want you to be overwhelmed by this stuff. He says, in fact, I've got a different plan, but your job is to overcome evil with good. Okay? Now think about this. This is the fighting fire with fire, right? Instead of when somebody does something bad to you, you do something bad back. How do we overcome this? According to the Word, the way to overcome being overcome is to fight evil with good. So like Melissa says, when we see problems, when we see issues in our community, in our families, in our world, it's easy to sit back and say, well, that's terrible. Why would God allow this? Or we say, I'm going to do some good. I'm going to pray. I'm going to fast. I'm going to, I'm going to get on a plane. And I'm going to go down there and help. I, I'm, going to, I'm going to stop when I see that person with the flat tire on the road. I'm going to hold the door for the person that's got their arms full of groceries. I'm going to do what's not expected of me. I'm going to overcome the disconnection in the world with good. But that means a conscious decision. I'm going to not be overcome, but I'm going to overcome evil with good. Now, how do we do that? Great. Here's the good news. Now you can turn with me in Revelation 12. Are you there? Okay, I'm not. Here's what it says, though. He's talking about the end times. Again, that's what Revelation is all about. And in verse 11, he's talking about they overcame him, him being the enemy, him being a world order, him being the things that are coming against us. And look what he says. And they, you are part of the they this morning. They, meaning the church. They, meaning followers of Jesus Christ. And they overcame him by what? Okay, now is that your part to do? Look at this. Part of the way that you become an overcomer is that you allow Jesus Christ to do His work in you. Now let that sink in for just a minute. Aren't you glad that it doesn't say, and they overcame Him by getting 13,000 people saved? That put a whole different framework on this, right? They overcame him by being the most holy people on the planet. Aren't you glad he doesn't say that? But isn't it amazing that the steps of being an overcomer start with the spiritual work of Jesus Christ in your life where you surrender to him? Because listen, if you don't surrender to him, you're going to surrender to being overwhelmed. If you don't surrender to him, you're going to work for the evil system. You're going to work for a world plan. You're going to work for what you think is your future. You're going to strive for the American dream, and you'll be unhappy, and you'll be alone, and you won't find your purpose. Or you can say, Lord, I surrender to you. Cover my life with your sacrificial blood, and it's, it's spiritual, unseen blood. Nobody tells you to pour blood over your head. You know that's not what I'm talking about this morning, right? It's a spiritual He's using imagery. Those who are covered by the blood of the Lamb, and then what? And by the word of their testimony. What's your testimony this morning? Hopefully the first part is your testimony. I've been covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. That's the first and most powerful testimony, right? How about the things you've already overcome? The things that haven't killed you? We're all have faced some things that haven't killed us yet, right? And it didn't mean it was easy but you learn that God is good and He's with you through all that stuff, right? 
And what you thought was going to kill you, because God is stronger than the things out in the world, He has seen you through it, and it made you stronger, and it made you tougher. But, I'm just going to shoot straight with you this morning. If we're not careful, those hard things will make you harder. And God never wanted us to be harder. And pretty soon our heart can get hard, and pretty soon our tongues can get sharp. And the things of this world will begin to overcome us, and they will begin to overwhelm our minds and our hearts, and pretty soon you'll hear it in our language as we complain about everything. Nothing's good enough anymore. Everything's against me. Even McDonald's is against me. The people at Fred Meyer's are against me. The people, the gas prices, the… the but… And, and pretty soon, it's not the person's normal nature, but if we're not careful, the world begins to overwhelm us, and it begins to conform us. <laughs> and we begin to sound like negative, even though we say we're Christians, we begin to sound very negative, very nitpicky, very unfaithful, very unwillful. We have a will to do what God asks us to do. And that means we have to determine not to be overcome. And he's not talking about some physical struggle against the government. He never tells us to fight the government, <laughs> ever. But if we're not careful, we get overwhelmed, and guess what we start to do? We start picketing. We start rioting. We start picking on people of different nationalities and creeds and colors and profiles, and all kinds of things, and that is never what Jesus Christ has called us to do. He says, you don't wrestle against that stuff. You're wrestling with principalities and powers. But one of the biggest ones that we're going to handle this morning, and, and if this is you this morning, thank God you don't have to stand up and say, that's me, that's me, because I'm not talking about saying that you have to do that. But one of the biggest problems that we face is that the, the power of comparison Social media has made it so prevalent that we compare with everybody around us. Our family doesn't match up with their family, or our family's doing better than their family, or, or look, oh man, they're on vacation again. I wish I had a vacation. Look at that family picture they've got. Oh, look at all the kids that are so smiling. They've got all their teeth. They must love their mother. That's, that's their A day. That's their best day. You don't get to see nobody. Well, not, I can't say that anymore. Not nobody. <laughs> Most people don't put their horrible, rotten, or the kids are fighting, kicking each other, just jumped in the mud puddle picture up. But it's just, this is not a rant against social media, but against this very insidious plot of comparison, of comparing yourself to someone else, your ministry to some other ministry, your marriage to some other ministry, your car, your house, your job, your kids, whatever it may be, even how you feel, I wish I looked like. Can I just tell you this morning, you were fearfully and wonderfully made. And can I tell you the other truth? Even the models that you see don't really look like that. A little technique called airbrushing. <laughs> We're spending way too much time focusing on the exterior 
and allowing ourselves to get overwhelmed instead of focusing on the interior where we know we've been saved. We know we've been fulfilled. We know we've been healed. We know that we've been adopted into His great family, and that is the truth no matter how you look or compare it to anybody else. God didn't ask you to compare yourself to anybody else, but to receive Him by faith. So let's move along here. just want to throw a couple of, of guidelines at you here. So understand that where comparison begins, contentment ends. You thought everything was great until you saw something that was cooler than what you got. Right? You thought your kids were good until you saw somebody else's kids. You thought your wife or husband was great until you saw the notebook. But let's remember, those things are fantasy. Even Facebook is fantasy. It's not reality. It's a snapshot of a microsecond in time. Then you can't compare yourself to that snapshot. Okay? My wife and I know this so much. I mean, if, I mean, back in the day where you actually went someplace to get pictures taken, you didn't have a camera, right? You had to make a schedule with J.C. Penney's or Sears. How many of you, that was a heck of a day? The kids are fighting. They can't find their clothes. Johnny's losing his shoe. They don't want to go. I remember I was out of town for one. My wife was going to surprise me. And she calls me crying. She wanted to get a family picture done. And my youngest son, who... He's my youngest son. <laughs> was throwing a fit. She was having to literally drag him to get in there. And he just wouldn't sit still and he wouldn't smile and he wouldn't obey. And then finally when she got tired of it and they left and she's saying, I'm going to call dad. Then he's like, I'll do it now. It's late. It's too late for that now. But if we had managed to get that picture, we would think, oh, man, look at that family picture. But her memories of that, that was a day from hell. <laughs> and sure, it went in the photo album. But everybody else would say, oh, look at all these family pictures. And it's like, yep, that was a hell day, and that was a hell day, and that was a hell day, and this was a day I almost killed my child, and this was a... Fastest way to kill something special is you compare it with something else. The fastest way to kill something special. Man, I just love my wife. I wish she was like... We've got such a great marriage, but I wish it was like... Fastest way to kill something is to compare it to something else. It's never been easier to compare, like I said, about social media, but Paul reminds us that we aren't supposed to compare. Look what he says, 2 Corinthians chapter 10. For we dare not class ourselves or compare ourselves with those who commend themselves, but they, measuring themselves by themselves. Did you see how they do that? Why would I compare somebody that they're measuring themselves by themselves? Well, man, I'm doing pretty good. Says who? Says me. <laughs> well, I'm a bad comparison. <laughs> We're not designed to compare ourselves. They're not designed to compare themselves among themselves, and they're not wise. Look what he says about that. Verse 13, we, however, notice there's supposed to be a difference. We will not boast beyond measure. 
but within the limits of the sphere which God has appointed us. God put you where he put you. God made you like he made you. God gave you the family that he gave you. Now, maybe you did something wrong before you got saved and it's punishment. <laughs> but I don't believe that. I believe that God wants to restore great relationships with us, our wives, our husbands, our children, our, our community. He wants to restore that. He doesn't want to see all this mess that we see, but we have to stop comparing ourselves to somebody else. Ladies, you were never designed to look like a Barbie doll. I mean, and if you are... If that's what you want, take some time and pop the head off and realize it's empty in there. <laughs> and yet, enhancement, augmentation, surgery, non-surgery, cooling lasers, heat lasers, this, that, everything trying to get the outside to look the way they want, can I tell you that if you're really struggling in that area, it's probably not an outside problem. It's an inside problem. And until you feel the beauty of God in there, there won't be enough surgery, there won't be enough product, there won't be, it'll drive you and drive you and drive you and drive you. And men are no different. I remember seeing a, a, a whole series on a guy that he, he struggled, he was one of these little, little scrawny kids that got messed with a lot and he determined he was going to fix that and he started working out and working out and then he started bodybuilding but big wasn't big enough and he started doing steroids and pretty soon he had 28 inch biceps. And it wasn't big enough. Now think about that. That's bigger than some of your legs. Now what's funny is you see how out of balance, because from the waist down he looked like a little scrawny bird. And so he just walks around like this. Try to find a shirt that fits a 28-inch bicep. At one point, he could almost not feed himself. But it didn't stop him. And soon that thing that drives you begins to overwhelm you, and it will take you captive. We've got to lay down the comparison. We've got to lay down looking at what somebody else has got. If God wanted you to have it, he would make sure that you had it. But I love the fact that God loves his children individually. And he embraces the diversity of how we are. All of our moles and warts and all of us, he loves us anyway. Because it's not about the outside, it's about the inside. We've got to lay down that comparison. Moving on. The reality of this is that comparing either makes you feel superior or inferior, but it rarely, if never, honors God. Either in your comparison, you say, we're not doing so bad, look at those schmucks. Or you're saying, you see that family? They look so happy, they've got great jobs. Their kids are orderly, they, they sit quietly, and they seem so in love, and how could we ever... 
how could we ever have that? And you feel inferior. <laughs> you don't sit there and when you compare and go, yeah, look at what God's given me. When, when you feel superior, you're always like, look, look what we've done. And when you feel inferior, look, I'll never be able to attain that. Paul understood that contentment. He knows what it means. And this means that, hopefully you get this, you've got to stay away from the land of Ur. Well, there's smart Ur and pretty Ur and rich Ur and nice Ur. You've got to stay away from that. You don't really know them. You're just comparing from the outside in. I've met some beautiful people that were snakes on the inside. And the beauty on the outside, great, as long as you stand at a distance. But you ever want to meet them, and you're like, you're one of the ugliest people I know. Now get this, if you will, for just a minute. Isn't it amazing that, that some of the most insecure people on the planet are fashion models? They've got it all. They've got travel. They get paid. They've got clothes. They've got a size zero body, which I don't even, I mean, that should mean they disappear, right? I mean, if you're size zero. But do you actually know how many size zeros there are in America? You should look it up sometime and ask yourself, if there's so few zeros, why is that the standard? To keep you on diets and to buying clothes and feeling guilty about how you look. We should question why 20-year-olds are selling wrinkle cream. Because that girl that's selling the wrinkle cream on the commercial, she's not 52. She's not 60. You've got to stay away from the land of Ur. Look what John says. And in the Bible, because there are people, there's comparison. Look at this. I'm just going to point this out. Not that, not that this is wrong, but I want you to understand that people have a natural tendency to compare. John chapter 20. They're going to find Jesus after he's been crucified. Then she came and she ran to Simon Peter and to the other disciple. Get that part? The disciple whom Jesus loved. <laughs> now guess who wrote that? John. Guess who the disciple that Jesus loved was? John. <laughs> right? He really loved me. And then there's the other disciples. And she said to them, they've taken away the Lord out of the tomb. We don't know where he's going. Peter went out, and the other disciple, meaning John, were going to the tomb. So they both ran together and... See the comparison? One disciple outran the other. I got here first. Isn't that amazing? Now, you probably never saw that before, but look at that. Why does it have to say that? Well, it was factual. Yep, but we as people tend to compare. I beat Peter to the tomb. Outran Peter, and I came to the tomb first. Stooped down, they looked in. Simon Peter came doing what? Following him. <laughs> this is amazing. You probably never saw this before. Then the other disciple who came to the tomb first. We've got to keep saying this, right? We've got to keep reminding Peter who came first. Maybe John had a comparison issue. 
about John 21. Peter, turning around, saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following. He leaned on his breast at the supper. Lord, who is the one who betrays you? And Peter, seeing him, said to Jesus, but Lord, what about this man? We've got to figure out, hey, let's do some comparison. What about him? But notice what Jesus said. If that's what I want to happen, it's going to happen. What is that to you? You just follow me. Church, every time you want to compare, you know what Jesus is going to say? What's that got to you with you? You just follow me. It doesn't matter how much money they made. It doesn't matter how many kids they have. It doesn't matter how happy they are. You just follow me. I'm your source of contentment. I'm your source of happiness. If you can't follow me, you'll never be happy. You will fall into the overwhelming place of comparison. It's not a fun place to be. We've got to ask ourselves a question here. Who or what is going to define my worth? Have you ever asked yourself that? Who defines your worth? And I'm not talking about what your monthly statement says. Who defines your worth? Is it you? Or do you allow others to define your worth? Do your vacations define your worth? Do your selfies define your worth? Does your wardrobe define your worth? Does what defines your worth? What happens if all that was gone? Who would you be? I'll tell you who Jesus would say you are. The one he loves. The one he forgave. The one he still wants to overcome. The one... He wants you to be covered by the blood of the Lamb and have a testimony beyond, look at my clothes. That's a horrible testimony. And the reality for me and for you is that my testimony is not my feelings. My testimony is He has saved me from sin. I am an overcomer. No matter that I failed in the past, no matter that I may fail in the future, He has made me by design to be an overcomer. By His blood. His blood is the thing that does it. It's the lowest common denominator, but if it's about anything else, it changes our testimony. And he wants you to have a powerful testimony. My testimony is I've been saved by Jesus Christ who is crucified, raised, and risen with power. That's my testimony. Who cares about the rest? All that stuff, whether we like it or not, is not coming with us into heaven. Your testimony is You don't get to take your clothes, your 300 pairs of shoes. You don't get to take your cool job. None of that translates into heaven. You're just you and Him. Hebrews 12, look what he says. Since we're surrounded by these great cloud of witnesses, people that went through stuff we can't even fathom, let us lay aside that weight. Let us lay aside the sin, which can be comparison, these things that overwhelm us, these things that ensnare us. And let's run this race that is set before us. We've all got this race. Notice what he says, verse 2. Who should we be looking at as we're running this race? The people around us? Now, just pardon me for the imagery here, but imagine if we're actually all running a race. 
and everybody else in this room is ahead of you. How do you feel about that? Imagine you're running this race and you're in the middle and you're looking around saying, I'm not doing so bad. (laughs) Imagine you're running the race and you're way out ahead. You can barely see the pack behind you. What's your thoughts? Losers. Second place is just first loser. Who did Jesus die for of those three examples? He didn't say that the person that was last had to run the race of the person at the front, did they? He said, you just run your race and you keep looking at me. You quit looking around at where everybody else, you may wear yourself out. Maybe you're not that great a runner and you're going to wear yourself out or make yourself feel overwhelmed because you're slipping back, 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 back and pretty soon you're the last in the pack. Or the person at the front starts getting prideful. Look at me, look how fast I'm running. Nobody can even catch up. What's wrong with these people? Or the person in the middle that maybe could run faster, but at least they're not that guy back there. And they fall into complacency and slothfulness. You just run the race He set for you. You live the life He planned out for you. You stop comparing the people around you and run your race. It doesn't matter what they say, even when it's family, and that's hard. Who cares what they say? You have been saved by Jesus Christ. You run the race that He has set before you, and you keep your eyes focused on Him. He's the finish line, not the other people. Right? And sometimes I think we're running to false finish lines. You think somehow if I just make a certain amount of money, well, Jesus is still out there calling you forward, folks. Or achieve some certain degree or some certain level of, hey, I'm pretty good with where I'm at. That's not the finish line. The finish line is to look like Jesus Christ. We must keep focused on Him. 1 Corinthians tells us this. Don't you realize that in a race, everyone runs? The only way to lose this race is not to run. Right? But only one person gets the prize. And there's some people that they, they misuse this and you've got to outdo everybody else. There are certain religions out there that, man, you've got to beat out 144,000 other people or you're not making it to heaven. That's quite a task. But I say this because he says, Only one person gets the prize. Who gets the prize for you running your race? You do. (laughs) This is not a, you got to beat out everybody else. What he's really saying is you run your race. But who gets the prize for running your race? You do. You run your race. You receive what Jesus Christ. It's not this competitive bumping like me and my brother fighting over every, everything's a competition. Which competition isn't always bad, but most of the time it gets carried away and becomes unhealthy. There was a time in 
Melissa and I's life when we did youth ministry, and we had some great kids. But we also, for whatever reason, we had kids that they loved us a lot and all this stuff, but kids being kids, pranks would start. And then whoever got pranked had to up the ante. And then that person had to up the ante. And that person had to up the ante. And then we ruined the paint on somebody's car. Somebody's feelings got hurt and they never came back. But it all started as fun. That's not what God wants for us, especially as the church. They're supposed to love each other and embrace each other. And it's not about competition. It's not about outdoing each other. It's about running the race that we've been called to run. Realizing that there's an eternal prize, verse 25. So I run with purpose. Is that what you're doing this morning? If not, today's a great day to start. Are you running your race with purpose? And if it is, what is your purpose? Who are you running for? What are you running to get? You can't earn his love. It's freely given. You can't earn his salvation. It's a free gift from God. You can't make him love you any less. He loves you, period. Will your life be different if you stop running and you decide not to follow Jesus? Definitely. It won't be the life that you want, and you, at the end, will have lots of regrets and a ton of remorse. Or you can stop now and say, I'm not running that race anymore. I'm running this race. I'm going to run after Jesus, and I'm only running my race. I can't run my wife's race. I can't run my kid's race. I can only run my race, and I'm the only one that gets a prize for running my race. And it's an eternal prize, and I'm going to run with purpose. I'm not just shadow boxing. Look what he said. I'm not just faking it. I'm not just wasting energy. Maybe you don't like the reality, I, I, I try to be as authentic as I can. But for some churches and for some people, I think we've lost sight that we're after an eternity, not just better living here. God never said that we were supposed to have this great life here, and again, an abundant life, but if it costs us running His race, you've given up an eternal prize. That's not what he wants. See, I think there's times in church where our, our goal, if we're not careful, is just to have more people or just to raise more money or just to have more ministries. So let me ask you a question this morning that only you can answer. Why do you want our church bigger? Because you're hungry for souls and want to see them saved? That's an awesome answer. So it'll make you feel better about having a bunch of people here? More money, more influence, more power? It's dangerous. Your answer is dangerous if it's not pointed at Jesus Christ. 
You can't faithfully follow Jesus if you're comparing yourself to someone else. Because as you're trying to run and look around, you're going to stumble. And you may not achieve all that you could achieve because he may be calling you to the front of the pack, but you're hanging out in the middle saying, look at how many other people I'm better than. That's not his goal. Some people, you've been given incredible, incredible giftings and influence and power and and the spiritual gifts to lead others, but you're hanging out in the middle of the pack trying to stay unnoticed. But God notices. (laughs) Some of you, you think you're out in the front looking back. (laughs) And God says, you know what happens to those that are prideful? prideful? They tend to fall. And then the pack overtakes them. Church, you run your race. And the race you ran when you're 20 is probably not the same race you run when you're 50, 60, 70. The race does change, but it's still your race. And there's only one person judging you, and that's Jesus Christ. We've got to lay this down. You've got to stop, and I'm not telling you to disconnect from social media, and definitely don't disconnect from all the people around you, but we're there to encourage some people running around us. You can make it. Come on, let me, how about those that stumble, we help them up to continue running the race. How about if it was us that stumble and need someone to pick us up? Because you know the person out front isn't going to come back. You can't faithfully follow Jesus if you're always comparing yourself to someone else. You see, whether we like it or not, that's the devil's mindset. I will be like him. I will be like the Most High. I'll have a place like him. Who is he comparing himself to? Think about this. Before his fall, he was a beautiful, beautiful angel. But unfortunately, he had a comparison problem. (laughs) He wasn't happy being an angel of the Lord, an archangel, some suggest. He wanted to be God. But there was only one God. (laughs) How do we deal with comparison? Great question. Laid out all the problems, here's the answer. When someone else succeeds, wins, gets something, celebrate. It's tough, and your heart may not be fully in it, but it'll help break the comparison off of you. Instead of saying, well, they don't deserve it. They didn't. Nobody saw how much work I did. It, that's not celebrating. Celebrating is, I am so glad you're doing good. I am so glad you came to church. I am so glad that your marriage is doing well. I am so glad that your kid got into college. I am so glad you get to retire early. I want to celebrate with you. If not, we become arrogant or we get resentful. Remember to run your own race. Or you're going to run a race you can't win. You can never measure up to somebody else's standards. It'll never happen. You've got to run your race. You can never measure up to somebody else's marriage. You need to run with purpose in every step that you take. Why am I doing this? Why am I going after this? What am I chasing? Who am I focused on? Those are purposeful questions, and and we need to ask ourselves, because I'm telling you, 
We just spent a week away, and there's a lot of questions about what's happening in the world. But I keep my eyes fixed on Christ. When the end comes, we'll know. He's given us ways to know. But if we jump around and we look at what some other people are saying, not what the Word is saying, we get to false finish lines, or worse, we start having fear. And God never told us to look at hurricanes and fires. He said, you stay focused on me. But if we're not careful, we start looking around. And if, this, if you're one of these people, again, it, hopefully it's not a poke in the eye, but it should be a poke to wake up. Fox News is still a news media. It is not the truth. But for those people that are like, I heard it on Fox, so it's got to be true. It's a news media outlet. They're interested in ratings. They're not interested in God's truth. Yes, there may be some Christian influence, but it's not the truth. This is the truth. The Bible is the truth that's not going to change, that it's never going to err. It won't lead you astray. It's not concerned about ratings. It wants you to read it and have a changed, redeemed life. Let Jesus determine your win instead of you determining your win. And last but not least on there, nobody can beat you at being you. If you are fearfully and wonderfully made, if he made you specifically and designed you the way you're supposed to be, you weren't designed to be somebody else. He made you to be you, and you're the best you you can be. And probably when you were two, that was fine, but then pretty soon we start looking around. Isn't it funny that babies don't have an identity problem? Isn't that amazing? And then we send them to school. Mom, I need a cooler backpack. Mom, I need a different haircut. Mom, I need better shoes. They've got a number two pencil. I got a number three pencil. They've got a cooler car. He's got a prettier girlfriend. They got a nicer teacher. But when they're just in the family, everything's great. Nobody can beat you at being you. So let's wrap this up with some life application this morning. Be honest with yourself. When was the last time you compared your life to someone else's on social media? You don't have to answer me. How'd that go for you? <laughs> Did it make you feel better? Who or what do you most often measure yourself or your family against? And what is that doing for you? Who or what are you measuring you and your family against? And lastly, if Jesus defines your worth, then who are you and what are you worth? He says, aren't you worth more than a multitude of sparrows? Aren't you the most? I mean, think about this. This whole book, the Bible, is about God coming down to have relationship with us. 
He didn't come to redeem animals. He came to redeem humans, you and I. He died on a cross not so that social politics would be better. He died so that you and I, human beings, would have a way to be with Him in eternity. And if we're not careful, we forget the mind and the heart of Jesus Christ. It's not defined by anything else. We have to, to decide, I'm going to change my mindset. And your mind doesn't get changed just because you change your clothes or your job or your spouse or your house. It's when we allow the power of the Holy Spirit says renew your mind 